0: Welcome aboard the USS Aeronome. To become a member of our crew, please visit PerfectOrganism.com slash support. As a patron of Perfect Organism, you'll receive exclusive perks and early access to content. Incoming audio transmission received. Please proceed to Subdeck 3 to begin playback. Thank you, and welcome aboard. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Prater. Prometheus, are you seeing this? And I'm joined by my co-host.
1: Patrick, and and I got to say, you, again, with the flawless, you didn't screw up the name of the show, you didn't get confused. This is like, (laughs) seriously, this is a long streak for you. Um, It's easy for me to say that because I'm not the one who usually kicks things off, but you know, I didn't even know what show it was until you started talking.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Part of all that when I used to mess up was because I had anxiety about you guys waiting on me too i have anxiety yeah i have i have crazy anxiety like that so because i have anxiety and i knew you guys were listening and waiting i would just fuck up every time really Um, but now i'm over it i'm over it i don't care anymore
1: (laughs) well now i'm gonna wait for you to fuck it up again jamie so that anxiety is gonna come right back like a dark horse and you better (laughs) fucking hope you got your shit together because i'm gonna be judging i'm just kidding thank you for introducing the show so you,
0: here, I am all right. I'm all right. How are you doing? Life's crazy. Life is crazy right now. This is a very historic time in America.
1: It is a historic time in America. Before we started recording the episode, uh, Jamie and I talked for almost an hour already just about how uh, how crazy life is right now. It really is an, an amazing time, and it's you know we've kicked off so many episodes over the last few months. Sort of with that, like talking about what a crazy time it is and how we're kind of you know we're all kind of dealing with it differently. We're all kind of feeling this out every day. And then now, you know, in the midst of these enormous protests happening across, you know, the United States and a lot of civil unrest and a lot of, um, you know, fighting and a lot of demonstrations and a lot of turmoil and a lot of pain, it's a whole nother scenario to, um, to kick things off with. But, but again, this is, you know, if you're listening to this, we hear you and we see you. Your truth is valid. Um, and we are here tonight to bring you something that's a little bit escapist But with this knowledge that um, you're probably going through a lot of pain and a lot of um, uh, indecision, just like all of us are. So we're we're with you in that moment. And also, I think it's fair to say that a lot of people probably are like,
0: what's happening? Why is this happening? A lot of not understanding. And I mean, full disclosure, I'm biracial. My father's African-American. My mother is white. What's going on really means a lot to me. It's a very powerful thing for who I am as a person. My father used to pick cotton on a sharecropper's farm in Arkansas. He'd jump on a horse in a buggy every morning and go and pick, pick cotton in Arkansas in the 1950s. Um, so my roots, in terms of the African-American experience, even though I don't really look African-American, I'm very white-skinned, people kind of don't know what I am. They think I'm either Puerto Rican sometimes or Italian sometimes or Arabic sometimes. It just depends on the day. Um, but this is a... a something that's really important to me. And I'm just mentioning this because I posted a photo um, in solidarity with the movement with Dylan and his arm up and really, it was really met by a lot of support, but there were a few people who took issue with that and that's their right. Um, And if you have a problem with people, have a problem, they can go somewhere else. Um, I think you talked about owning your truths. And uh, I think this is a very historic moment for this country. We're going through a lot of change. Not everyone will agree with how it's happening or why it's happening, but, I think a lot of people do agree that something needed to happen, Um, but I'm happy to be here with you and talk about something alien related to get our minds off it and to sort of get back into some semblance of normalcy, whatever that might be.
1: For however many more hours, normalcy exists in in, in any given moment, because we are halfway through 2020, my friend. Yes, we are. And this has been a fucking decade of a year and oh i God. cannot believe there's so much to go and in the midst of all this we have this prometheus series that we keep starting and stopping cuz we're too emotional or we don't really like movie mm-hmm. or we're kind of confused we can't get a guest to come on this thing is still going forward we are still moving on with it and this <laughs> well, is Patrick this Paul. is it's, it's <laughs> mostly my fault cuz i never want to talk about prometheus but this is technically uh, an installment in our ongoing prometheus series correct we're going to release this as an open horizon episode
0: yeah cuz i think that this relates to Prometheus and to Covenant. This is an episode where we're discussing Ridley Scott. It's called Defending Ridley Scott. And I felt like it was important. I brought this up to Patrick a few days ago and he's like, well, didn't we just talk about Ridley Scott? But I felt like we haven't discussed Ridley Scott and how divisive he has been or how people perceive him as being in the context of the prequels, notably Prometheus. And I think it's incumbent upon us to discuss what those perceptions are, and you have people you know slandering his name, and then you have people saying what what are you, what's wrong he's amazing um, and I think that there's a middle ground here I think that you're, you sh- we should be able to um, discuss and and constructively criticize the people that we look up to um, without slandering them, and they should be able to take the the construct constructive criticism. Now whether Ridley Scott ever hears this, who knows? I'm sure he's read something here and there. I don't know if he ever listens to our show. I doubt it. That would be nice maybe. Um, I know I've been in a place before um, where I've been like I'm done with Ridley Scott. I've lost respect for him where I've been really angry and it, but it comes back to something that I talked to Patrick about having an episode on that he declined <laughs> about when things that you love fail you. Oh, that's thing. right. Um, but I don't want to get too far into that so much, but I just felt like it was a time to really talk about Ridley Scott and who he is with these prequels and what's happened.
1: Now, Jamie, is this your way of telling me that this is actually a backdoor way of getting around <laughs> to the fucking episode? Oh, I'm so all about I the
0: backdoor, yo. <laughs>
1: big back door. <laughs> uh, well, at, at, anyway, no, I, I think this is a really good point. And I have to say, I have such a complicated personal relationship with Ridley Scott because on one hand, I just idolize him to like no end because he's responsible for like my two favorite film franchises ever, you know, outside of Star Wars. And he is like just this beacon artistically who has put out just some of the most, even outside of those those films, you know, he's put out just some of the greatest films of the last 40 years or 50 years, almost. I mean, he's just an extraordinary creative force and an extraordinary personality too. He's very much sort of the old school Hollywood. Like he's, you know, he would have been very much at home in the studio systems of the forties and fifties and sixties, you know, Mm -hmm. as the sort of Baron who just like is a one man production machine who works, you know, on contract for big studios and pumps out a lot of really great films. I mean, he is just an absolute workhorse. He takes no, uh, prisoners he accepts no bullshit and he does what he believes in whether or not that is done well or whether or not that's coherent or whether or not it's what anybody else wants to see it doesn't really matter because Ridley Scott has been at a point in his career for basically all of his film career since he you know left his primarily commercial filmmaking and went into you know the duelists and everything to come after that. He's basically always been in a position where he can do what he wants and people will sort of have to go with it because he's Ridley Scott. And um, and I think what we have seen with him over these past 45, 50 years has been this remarkable journey of an artist who is capable of, of extraordinary greatness but is also basically never reigned in at all. And so what, what happens in those scenarios is always fascinating. And Ridley Scott therefore is always fascinating to me.
0: I would absolutely agree with you. I think um, most of his films, I love most of his work than I, you know what I mean? I love more than I don't like. Alien, Blade Runner, Black Hawk Down, Kingdom of Heaven, Stelma um, and Louise. Uh, I, I mean, you can, the list goes on and on. There's some really, really, I mean, Black Rain, there's there's some legend, which I love, which sort of cheesy, but it really works for me. Um there's so many films of his that he's just on fire and he gets it right the Martian um, but I obviously we're not here to talk about any of those films we're not talk or not so much we're not here to talk about those films. I think he's become this divisive character, and I think the disconnect with uh, starting with me was of course when there was a roll up to Prometheus, and I was really excited and the trailers were amazing and I thought Ridley Scott's back. it's going to be another masterpiece, of course it is gonna be amazing no no that I I don't ever bring in that level of expectation into a movie Um, like I like with Blade Runner 2049 I knew Denis Villeneuve I loved his films that I'd seen I'd seen Arrival which was the last film he had released so I thought hey he's made some great films I wasn't really sure if Blade Runner would be great because you don't know with Ridley Scott he had a track record An amazing track record the last time he was in science fiction was for arguably one of the best science fiction films ever made Blade Runner 2019 and so me going into the theater based off the trailers everything I'd seen I'm sitting down to watch a masterpiece of course I am Um, how could I it's Ridley Scott he hasn't been it's been 30 years since he's been back blah 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 blah. and I sit down in the theater and I remember the first time I saw it uh, on a midnight eight o'clock showing on a Thursday night with my friend Vasquez and um, I got a poster, which I lost. And I remember leaving the theater thinking, hmm, that was very, very interesting. And I couldn't, I was going tick just over and over and over and over and over in my head like, whoa, that was really interesting. What was that about? And so then I saw it a second time with my then partner. And afterwards he's like, I can't, my then romantic partner, um, not podcast partner because I, uh, Perfect Organism <laughs> have not been, created until three years pr- after Prometheus right. um, and he was like I, I can't he's like I, he's like I can't stop thinking about this movie I just it's I th- it, there's so much to think about and I was like you're right and then I saw it a third time I think I saw it four times total I saw it a third time in, in 3D and I'm like 3D didn't do anything for me and then the fourth time I left angry I was like this is not good um, and as I was able to sort of focusing on character a little bit more in dialogue because, you know, when you first see a film, it's like, whoosh, it's washing over you. Most of the time. So you have to go, if it's something that you really love, for me, it depends, it really depends. Like I saw Rise of Skywalker and I was like, this is trash. And I I was angry and I left. I mean, after the film, because I'm going to get my money's worth, of course. Um, So sometimes I'll know right away, other times I won't. Um, So Prometheus took me a while to... Get to this point where I'm like, man, that wasn't that good. Um, but at the same time, I loved so much of it. I loved how beautiful it was. I loved the engineers I did. I Not maybe as the space jockey, but I loved them. I loved the how iconic they are. They were scary. They were terrifying. You know, when they were heading towards Shaw in that little capsule, it was a really freaky, authentically alien scene. One of the best scenes in the film. But the characters and the dialogue and the story, I was like, oh, this just is not good. And I was like, in my head, I was like, what's happening with Ridley Scott? Did he not know that this was not a good script? Did he not know that these were not well-written characters? How did he miss this? And then I started getting a little angry. Um, But I sort of let it pass. But there was a lot online of people just like... At that time, I was in the AVP Galaxy forums with... uh, Well, I know you were in there at the time, but we didn't know each other. Um, But a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people. My, mine, yeah. This Bethesda C. A lot of people um, were posting in there saying, "What was that? This isn't that good." And you can see the whole. You can read it. It's still there. Just watching people react, and it just people were like, "Oh, that wasn't that good," and then people are trying to, "Oh, I need maybe I need to see it again," and then you keep going a week two weeks later and people were like oh this movie isn't good at all um and so then that started for me this place where i was conflicted about rudely scott i was angry that feeling like he could save this franchise feeling like after alien resurrection which was just complete garbage for the most part it was beautiful um but complete garbage Uh, (laughs) um i I was at a crossroads with him. I, I was really angry. And part of what my anger came from this place of, you've just helped to continue to ruin something that I love so dearly. And why? Why didn't you know better?
1: It's funny because my, uh, yeah, I'm rubbing my eyes because my allergies are eating me from the inside out right now. My uh, my first viewing of Prometheus, I hated it. I, I, I just right from the, not from the get-go, because I love I the beginning, as I say, every time we talk about Prometheus. But then as soon as the characters started talking, I was like, what the f- is this movie and and I and I am usually on the other side of this as we've discussed before usually i if, if I go into a movie with a lot of expectation, if I go into a movie that I'm you know really looking forward to that I know I can kind of trust the creative team, which I did feel that way with this because also Damon Lindelof to me at that time could do no wrong. I was a huge lost fan I was like totally like you know i, I can I can buy this thing hook line and sinker going in um normally I, like that is enough to kind of sustain my excitement level throughout the film and then i would need to go back again and see it a second time and be like okay this actually isn't as good for some reason prometheus from the very beginning and i really think it's because the characters felt so off to me just immediately hit me the wrong way um and i and i only saw it that one time in theaters because i just did not enjoy it and i felt alienated from it i felt like it wasn't really made for me excuse the pun Um, excuse the pun (laughs) but I, i i also like you know at the same time i wasn't i wasn't bitter i didn't pull the things that a lot of other people pull you know especially post covenant where people are you know putting screenshots of themselves crying and saying, woe was me and all that. <laughs> like, which I find so insufferable. Um, no offense to people who did that. Uh, maybe a little bit of offense. But, but listen, I, at the end of the day, I was like, okay, this movie isn't for me. This is probably for for other people. Um, and lo and behold, it was. I, I mean, as we've discussed, you know, uh, as we discussed, uh, when, the, when the hell was the last time we recorded for Shoulder of Orion? Two days ago? We, uh, last well, we week, did Dune. We what is time rec- anymore? I don't, e- I don't even know. We, we haven't recorded
0: ever. a Shoulder of Orion episode formally in weeks. We've recorded frame rates. <laughs> That's, That's for, it, really? remember? No, we did, we did the, the one I just put up today, the interlinked episode. Yeah, but it wasn't really – yeah, but it's more general. It's not Well, like- my,
1: my point being that I, I, I don't even know what time is anymore. That's point That's A. Point B is that – one of, the, one of the last times that we discussed, we were, I was talking about how you have these, these three films, you know, the first, uh, not even three, the first two films in the franchise, which were just universally beloved, right? And then each one subsequently after that has a pocket of occult fandom attached to it for the most part, right? The cult for Alien 3 is pretty large at this point, but for a Except long Except for time, there is
0: no cult fandom for Alien Resurrection. We know that for sure. There's no. But there, there, but there are, there's a but there couple are people, people here and it, there though. that are like, oh, yeah, I understand, but I really liked it, even though they kind of concede, but they love it. Like, Right. You love, it doesn't have, it doesn't like, you love like Twinkies, but fiction. they're garbage,
1: you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, you love Twinkies, but they're garbage, <laughs> but they'll live a long time. Like, yeah, I, I agree with you. There's not really like resurrection has kind of a good like meme economy life because it's it has a lot of like funny moments in it that people, oh, yeah. talk about, but it doesn't really have a cult. There's no fan fiction, there's no fan art really about resurrection, right? But all of the other movies kind of do, and the 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 fan communities around Prometheus and Covenant obviously have some crossover, but there's a surprising amount of separation between those two films. So each of these movies has its own sort of a thing, you know? Um, so when I saw Prometheus the first time, I kind of just was immediately like, okay, this is just not one of the ones that I'm not going to be a huge fan of. And that's like, sort of okay. Um, as I've returned to it through the years, I've I've learned some things to appreciate about it and some things that I just still still can't really quite get over. Anyway, all this is to say, we should get back to Ridley Scott. This well, is that's my it.
0: question for you. How did yeah. you process Ridley Scott at this point? What were you like? Because like me, you don't think not that I think I know that people are flawed. I know that some of the greatest people, artists or whatever, make things that don't work for people. But I didn't even put that into the equation for Ridley Scott. I just knew this man will make a masterpiece of a film. And he didn't.
1: But to be fair, for the previous, you know, for all of the amazing films that he had come out over the the previous 20 years, there were some flops you know Oh, totally i mean like and 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 there were movies that like have gone on to have some kind of a shelf life like 1492 where like matchstick man american gangster i love 1492 they're 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 good films but they're not like they're not sort of beloved in in culture you know what i mean um Mm -hmm. so like so he has had kind of some some ups and downs
0: yeah Um, i agree but for me there was never anything colossally horrible for him no No, this to me was colossally bad, despite the fact that there are things that I love about it. Love, 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 love that I could look at. I could look at those engineers every day, all day. I could could look at the inside of that um, pyramid. I mean, it was beautiful design when they're walking in and you have the opening and it's iconic and amazing and not like Alien. Very different. Mm -hmm. Feels similar, but looks different.
1: Yeah, vi- visually, I, I find it almost unimpeachable. I, even, even I don't have issues with the with the ship being too advanced or anything. I, I, th- I think that they sort of pull it off and they justify it, and, mm-hmm. and I, I don't have any like aesthetic problems with the movie. It's really the characters that kill it for me. I also don't really have any philosophical problems with it. I actually think the ideas are really interesting, and I think that what it has to say about you know creation about where we come from. I think it's 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 a it's a fascinating artificial intelligence, different angle on science fiction that I totally embrace and, and have fun with um it's just the writing sucks but um i think it's worth looking at who ridley scott is as a filmmaker and where that comes into what ended up being prometheus so for me you know we got to talk to to charles lazarico recently um just like dropping that name in there and uh and he was mentioning, you know, we were talking about his incredible documentary on the making of the film, The Furious Gods, which, which is, again, is phenomenal. It, I might people haven't tonight. seen that just, and it's even, I don't know if I should say this, it's even on YouTube if you want to watch the full thing there, but, but there are many other ways to watch it. It is an extraordinary film that is basically as long as Prometheus itself is. And it no, no, lists- it's
0: three hours and 40 minutes.
1: Is it really, it's three yep. hours and 40, Jesus. It's, yep. it's, it's, but it goes by so fast, I didn't even it think does. it was that long. It it's a, it's a, just a great documentary and it's so comprehensive. Um, and you see like basically everything you could ever want to know about Ridley Scott's working process in motion in that, in that documentary. And what's so amazing about it, Jamie and listeners, to me, what's so amazing about it is how how vivacious he is, how young he seems, how excited he is how uh, he still acts like a 15 year old, you know? Like he's just, he shows up that first day And like, he looks like he didn't even like finish getting dressed. He's just so pumped to be there. He can't, he can't wait. And he sits down he's making a mess and he's like spilling shit and he's got his wine out and he's like drawing all over every surface he has and he can't stop talking and he can't stop listening. And I do want to say he does listen really well too. When people have ideas in the production department, he stops what he's doing and he kind of like looks at them like with this intensity and he's everything that you want Ridley Scott to be, right? He's a genius. He's an absolute madman. He's just amazing. Um, and I, w- something that I do treasure about Prometheus is the fact that it gave us the furious, the furious gods, which is a chance to see one of my favorite directors of all time and his real element doing what he really loves. But I also love that it gave Ridley Scott a chance to re-engage with science fiction, which for him, hits and misses aside, is clearly like where his heart is and where his mind is. And it's what he does so extraordinarily well. And, and I mean, I think it's like, it's great that, uh, he was able to throw so many things at the wall because the things that stuck were things that nobody else could have st- stuck. The things that didn't stick were things that you know are pretty easy mistakes to make with with character and et cetera and continuity. But um, getting to see him in his element is just so amazing.
0: Yeah, I I don't know if I have an opinion on watching him work. He's very he didn't seem like a schoolboy to me. He seemed very methodical and clinical to me. He didn't seem like Except for the scenes when Geiger showed up. Geiger, sorry. I'm so used to saying Geiger all my life just because I was a dumb fanboy. Um, Radioactive. And, tho- and those scenes with Geiger, and you could see the connection uh, reforming that they had had since Alien. And there's Geiger in the midst of an alien film again. Um, and of course, at that time, there was talk oh, yeah, Geiger designed this and that. And we we're like, oh, wow, cool. And of course, none of it was true, um, which also caused me to lose trust for Ridley Scott because he said some things were true that weren't Um, and I don't know if what maybe they were true but they didn't make it into the movie all I know that I was looking for and then all of a sudden none of it had made it into the film and I was um, I mean although there were elements of some of his design for alien I think that's that's what I mean yeah yeah for sure Um, but he had said he designed a mural for us and aside from the original mural that you do see he didn't design a mural you just used Mm. something but At any rate, there was the idea that Ridley Scott was involved, or that Giger was involved in Prometheus more than he was, and he wasn't really involved. He did a couple of sketches, and that's about it. Um, So this sort of started breaking down my trust for Ridley Scott, Um, but I wasn't really I do love The Furious Gods. I love it. It's just amazing. I haven't watched it in a long time. I'm going to, in light of the series that we're on, um, which, of course, this episode fits perfectly in, because I think this is a worthy discussion. Mm -hmm. I do, I think I realized what infuriated me about Prometheus in context of Ridley Scott, just trying to find out what the disconnect was, was that this was yet another film made the same way Fox makes films, alien films, via committee. Well, what's your ideas? Well, these are my ideas. Oh, why don't we bring this writer in? And why don't we develop them more? Oh, okay. This guy, John Spates, he's really great. He's a new up and coming writer. Oh yeah, sure. Right, right, right. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's a great script. Uh, why don't we pull it a, a little further away from alien? Uh, oh, okay. So less alien tropes, but they're still alien tropes. There's a, essentially a, uh, a chestburster. There's a face hugger and there's an alien at the end. I mean, it's the same thing. Um, just looks a tad bit different. Um, and I was, and again, also what's happening with this film is it's being sold as, well, what is this movie? And Damon Lindelhoff is being ridiculous. I don't know. It trades in the same stock as Alien. <laughs> it's so it's annoying a fucking derelict. It's I the know. alien siren. <laughs> what, you think we're stupid? <laughs> really. And I think that's a, a problem that I've had with some studios and filmmakers that they think that we're stupid and they're making films for stupid people. And then I. I, what And the alien fandom is not stupid by far. We're highly intelligent. Not that any fandom is stupid, but...
1: You're <laughs> well, I'm just kidding, everybody. You're very smart.
0: <laughs> um, But I, I always feel like the alien fandom is highbrow, and there's a lot that we bring to it. And, and so then, you know, all of this bringing it into this theater, and then I'm like, who wrote these characters? Do you think we're dumb? Do you think we're stupid? Do you think... I don't know, I don't think, I don't think they, I don't, I don't, go ahead. No, but what happens is they dumb things down and they're not consciously dumbing things down. They're hoping the audience understands. We're going to have a memory where her father says, it's what I choose to believe. And then we're going to have her repeat it. The stupid foreshadowing that writers think that they need to do because audiences aren't dumb. Like, come on. And that's what was happening. And it had never happened before. Um, there had been some elements in the original three films where you see variations on a theme, shades of something we'd seen before, and certainly in Aliens, maybe beat for beat recreations of things that we had seen before, but we've had this discussion. There was so much new, and the story was pushed so much <laughs> right, further. It, it,
1: doesn't, it doesn't matter, you know? Yeah, it, it, it didn't matter. It doesn't even matter.
0: But, so as I engage the characters of Prometheus and what's his name's character, the African-American guy? Pedro character, yeah. Yannick, he comes in. This is a, a military installation. Oh, really? Where'd you, how'd you find that out? Oh, oh, interesting. And so I'm listening to that and I'm just like rolling my eyes and we're lost in a cave that's been mapped where we can see you at the ship, where we know where you are. And so then I'm pulling, I'm trying not to get into the minutia of this because some of these discussions that we've had before, like dumb characters, they get lost, they do dumb things. People say, well, people do dumb things in the other movies. No, they don't. Um, What I brought from it, what I was pulling from it was how did Ridley Scott not see that these were not well-written characters? How did this pass him by? How was he so concerned with the look of the ship and everything else that he realized this is not intelligent writing this is and so then I started questioning him like but I didn't push that questioning too far because then two years later Covenant's announced and I'm thinking oh it's gonna be amazing yeah okay Prometheus Covenant is gonna be amazing um, and I was ready I'm like it's Ridley Scott I Like I could, there's enough in Prometheus that I really enjoy and I'll watch it, but I could sort of drop off what I wasn't enjoying, furiously not enjoying um, to watch Alien Covenant and I won't get into that, but that's sort of where my mind was going, where it was just like, you know, when something, things start slowly letting you down and you're in denial about it for a little bit and then you're like, it's just like a movie you don't like where you're like, oh no and then when something stopped not working not working for you then you're like oh
1: that's not working either like when, when oh, you're that... at the point in the movie when like they're all just like <laughs> running from a ship in the wrong direction and you're yeah, like okay yeah. these characters are so stupid because the thing is is if it, if it were any of those moments you mentioned the foreshadowing etc if those were isolated incidents in this thing like oram and covenant is a stupid character but to me he in, i know you don't like rosenthal you, you think there's a lot of stupid decisions in it the stupid decisions in covenant in my mind are, are so minor compared to the accumulation of stupid in contrast in i would prometheus yes like sure there's some you. dumb characters in covenant that's fine but prometheus it's like there are just these cataclysmically stupid characters inhabiting this thing who act like they don't know why they're on the ship, who act like they don't know. Yeah, why are we here? (laughs) For what reason? Did they not talk about this? Like, did they not have a fucking briefing at the beginning? Yeah. It's like half of them act like they showed up and they don't even, like like they're mapping a geological structure for the very first time and they've never seen the technology that is used to do. It's like these people have been living in a series of bubbles that have been just floating around and then got poked to just open up into this one particular mission. Yeah. And they're all confused about what the hell a mission even looks like. Yeah. And I again, I
0: really and I know there are some people listening to the show right now thinking, "Oh boy, here we they go." They fucking hate they're, us. They fucking hate us. They're prequel bashing again. I'm not intending to. What I'm trying to get at is my faith in Ridley Scott fading away, disintegrating. Yeah.
1: Well, okay, um, can, can I can I throw something out there that, sure. that I, I wanted to, So based on what you were saying before? So hang on. I think talking about the script, which is the downfall of Prometheus, because as we've already established, we both love the visuals for the most part, right? We both, or at least I enjoy the ideas in it quite I, the, a bit. Oh, yeah. Right? I, I think it's a really interesting concept for a movie. Like, it's not that. This, the script is the, is the shit. What I think happened... Is I think when Damon Lindelof came on board, which of course happened primarily just to sell the movie, like because he was a very he was just a huge name at the time. He was very much where Spakes hadn't
0: sold a script hadn't had the script made. It was his first huge script that he was being made, so they needed someone to come in and polish it, as Hollywood does.
1: Right, exactly. And 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 just like uh oh my god, I can't think of his name for Resurrection. What the fuck? Oh, Whedon- my god, what is his name? Yeah, yeah, Joss mm-hmm. Whedon. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> Joss, for in, in my head, I was thinking Jason Sudeikis, and I'm like, "That's that's definitely not who that was." Joss Whedon. Uh, although Jason Sudeikis would have probably done a better job. He's a good writer, uh, actually. Yeah, he's a very talented guy. Maybe he should write an Alien movie. Who knows, Jason? If you're listening, okay, hang on. I'll so, fucking
0: write an Alien movie. Uh, give me a fucking Alien movie.
1: Why does that sound like a threat? <laughs> Give me a fucking alien movie right now. I'll, I'll write you a fucking alien movie. <laughs> or else. Movie. Like it. So, 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 I'll tear you a new alien
0: movie.
1: <laughs> you're going to fucking love it. <laughs> so, so, Joss Whedon, when he came on board Resurrection, was the hot young screenwriter in Hollywood, right? He was, every, everybody would just bend over backwards for him. Similarly, Damon Lindelof, when he came on board to quote unquote write Prometheus, which we'll get into in, a, in probably the next episode we have. Um, he was basically brought in as the hot young property in screenwriting and in telewriting. He was really, really fresh off of Lost, off Watchmen, off all of these these really great projects. And pe- people thought he could do no wrong. And uh, I guess not, I guess, no, Watchmen, he just did the television series. He wasn't involved in the Snyder film. Anyway. Um I think what happened with Damon Lindelof was similar in some ways to what happens to Ridley Scott, which is people were like, oh, great, we got Damon Lindelof. Like, let's let him do what he does, right? Because he made so much money on Lost, basically. So I think what happened with Ridley Scott was he was saying, okay, here's somebody who we know is like brilliant, who we know is going to sell a lot of tickets, who we know like has had all these successes. He knows he, he has his finger on the pulse of what film going audiences want in 2012. Let's kind of like, I, I trust him. He's got his shit together. I'm going to focus on the world building. I'm going to focus on the design. I'm going to focus on the show shoot and like you know whatever the script looks like i'm just kind of kind of kind of go with it that is not an appropriate attitude to have i'm not defending ridley scott at all but i'm also saying that i think there were probably some decisions that he was overridden on along the way or some things that he might maybe assumed he didn't know best because he's not really a screenwriter himself and i think that that what we see a little bit is damon lindelof getting the, the ridley scott treatment in prometheus you know, where a lot of the decisions that he made, which in many ways dumbed down Space: script, but also in some ways just didn't fix things in Space: script that could have been better. Um, I think that they were kind of unchecked and that that was a real disservice to the film.
0: Well, and the narrative ha- also happening pre-release was Ridley Scott doesn't like to repeat himself. This is something new. They wanted to remove a- elements of alien tropes. Interesting. Okay, sure. Um and that's what we're hearing and then we're, we're seeing trailers and we're seeing this and that and all a lot of marketing exciting everyone um and again then post-release i'm trying to figure out how did ridley scott not know that these characters were not well written not just not well written that were dumb and like for instance i have friends who are geologists i have friends who are scientists i do um and they're very i mean they're they like these people. no they don't and <laughs> Um, of course. Not. Like I, I will talk to a friend of mine who's a geologist about rock formations in uh, nature because I love nature and I love exploring it, and he'll like. I mean, he's serious about it, and he goes into it and he talks about it like it's a religious experience for him. I mean, and he he is not a doofus. He is not. I mean, not to say that of course geologists and scientists can make mistakes for sure, for sure, or they can read information incorrectly. Absolutely, like we all can make mistakes in every in the fields that we're in. But these people take their job seriously and they know what they're doing and they know where they're going. And they're, you know, when they're on a job or they're on a, a project, it's life and death for them in some ways um, because it's, it's, they're looking for information. And a lot of, it, if you're a scientist, it's mathematical information. Things have to, you know, it's cascading or it's, it's it's so many different things. And so knowing all of this and then seeing these geologists and biologists in this movie, I'm just like, in what universe do people like this exist? And in what universe do this a $2 billion or whatever space endeavor take place and you hire Tweedledee and Tweedledum?
1: They they all act like they read the Wikipedia page for geology on the way over, and then they're like, okay, so this is this is my job now, and I want to get this back again because I know
0: people are going to be your prequel bashing. That's not well. I mean, well,
1: this... I mean we're, we're Prometheus bashing the fuck yeah. right now. Yeah. I'm not bashing Covenant because I love that movie.
0: Um, and so we're going to get to we're going to get to Ridley Scott via Covenant, but. So talking about all of those things that are just grating on me more and more and more and more and more and more and and grading and grading, I then turned my sights to Ridley Scott. And my question is, why? Why didn't you see this? Why didn't you understand that this was not intelligent? Ridley Scott is highly intelligent, incredibly intelligent genius of a man. And I'm thinking you read the script and you thought this was okay. Why did you think that this was okay? Why did you think that these were realistic characters? Because they weren't. Um, and then there was some course correction, definitely with Covenant. I mean, many of those characters felt real. They felt more organic. I felt a little bit more commonality with them. They, The banter felt more real. It just felt more like Alien. Um, and so Prometheus I kind of left Ridley Scott like, my idol has, I mean, Spiel, Steven Spielberg was my favorite director for a long time when I was like a kid to like 21. Um, because, of course, I went to film school. Steven Spielberg, I mean, he was great, good, amazing films. But he was not, of course, the best filmmaker ever. There was plenty of other amazing film, filmmakers. Ridley Scott was one of those people for me. And I think at the end of Prometheus, or at the end of my run with Prometheus, when I finally was like, this film is bad and I can't watch it with the sound on he wasn't irredeemable at this point and i'm not even saying he's irredeemable now i don't want to get into like i think he's terrible i have respect for him i have to say that again and again i want people to know i think he's a brilliant man he has a new series coming out called raised by wolves which is about children raised by. coming out sometime in 2028 at this point it's done it's coming out on hbo max hopefully sometime this year um it's been it wrapped like eight
1: months ago it wrapped it wrapped in 2019 like Uh, yeah yeah like literally yeah so i don't know where the fuck it is yeah it's not as bad as the new mutants though that is the one for me that i like that that the the new mutants has been pushed back like seven times now and now they're saying it's like 2022 i'm like what what where is this movie That's crazy so
0: i don't i'm not trying to argue that you know i i think when your heroes fail you um fail you with You know, Alien is right here. It's like right in the center of my heart. Ripley is alive and breathing. I am who I am because Ripley was who she was. And that is due in large part to the decisions that Ridley Scott made for her as a character in 1979. And then James Cameron furthered and then David Fincher sort of finished. Um, And so I brought all that hope and all of that um, ideology with me into Prometheus. And I left like... I don't, you look, looks like Ridley Scott, but it isn't Ridley Scott. And that's how I left Prometheus. And it's a terrible place to be when your heroes have failed you when, and you feel like not only did they fail you, it almost feels like betrayal. It does. I mean, and that's how serious I take it. That's how serious I take these films. I love these films so much that I've written audio dramas. I've written two sequel scripts after, after uh, Alien Resurrection. I'm working on another alien audio drama right now. I've wrote a whole script called Alien Survival. Um, I mean, that's how much I love this world. I love it. And I felt like at the end of Prometheus, he did not love the world as much as I did. Um, and that's a hard thing for me to
1: come to terms with well it's pretty funny that this is uh called defending ridley scott and it doesn't seem like there's very much defending of ridley scott well not yet we're we're still talking we're still talking (laughs) but um so i I think uh you know i I was sort of trying to to say how this was kind of lindelof's fault but uh but at the end of the day ridley scott has final cut privileges and and not not everybody does so he did have sign off on the movie and that means that he did see that movie and he thought this was ready to go and he released it you know Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, just as he did with the counselor a year later, like just as he has done with other films that are not super well received. Um, I want to go back to something I said a while ago about the fifteen-year-old thing. So, so uh, when when I say that, what I mean more is the way that I was when I was making movies as a fifteen-year-old. So, like, so and I'm sure you did this too. When I when I was in high school, I had a VHS camera that used micro VHS cassette tapes, and it was a piece of shit. And I would get my friends <laughs> together. And we would go make movies out in like construction sites and out in the woods, and we would like you know source costumes from like our parents clothing drawers you know and like use prop firearms and things like that you know and we would go out and we would stay up all night making these movies in the woods and th- those are some of the best m- memories that I have of my entire childhood right um, and when I would do that, I was lit with the fire of an amateur. And that is something that I think the greatest professionals never lose, right? The people who continue making movies, the way Ridley Scott has continued making movies up until nearly his 90s at this point, you only do that if it's something you love enough to stay up all night, not even realize you've stayed up all night, right? It's something that you can wake up at 4 a.m. and and get right to work on because you couldn't sleep anymore because you couldn't wait to do it. Um, When I was first starting off with music, and somewhat still to this day when I'm doing music, but especially early on. I mean, I could, just, I could just sit there and write music and not eat for two days and not even think about it, not even think twice about it. When I first started off making movies with my friends, it was the same thing. We would work so hard and be so excited and just try such crazy shit out and take chances and break laws and break into things and, and try crazy things because we were having so much fun with the art form, you know? Um when I see Ridley Scott on the set of Prometheus, and when I see him in the early, you know, production stages of it, the pre-production stages of it, I see that 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 child again, that amateur again. I see that person who isn't tired of working within the confines of a really difficult system to get movies made, because movies, at the end of the day, are extraordinarily difficult endeavors, right? They are for all of the films it's hard to make a good movie but it's also just hard to make a movie it's just a really big deal like it's a really big deal and and not even just the the creative process but getting distribution getting production getting licenses getting shit done, getting space to film it and getting locations, getting all of the different production considerations that go into making something are just absolutely mind-blowing, let alone finding a scripting light, right? Yep. I mean, for every script that gets made into a film, there are 10,000 scripts that don't go anywhere that are sitting in somebody's toilet that just never go, I don't know why they're in the toilet, but what I, you know what I mean, that, that are just sitting in somebody's, you know, room, I, I almost said bathroom. Clearly the bathroom is where these things end up. Or there's uh, all just of an office
0: things, room that where, where there's a thousand other, or 2,000 other ones,
1: yeah. Right, and toilet that's in the office room right uh, yeah. but my point being that <laughs> that these things uh don't go anywhere and then sometimes something breaks through that and you know what happens when that when like a producer or a filmmaker says like this is a script that i want to make is that is the beginning of an enormous journey that is a huge thing from the very beginning of an idea to green lighting to pre-production to production to post to to wrapping the final cut, to getting it released to theaters, to getting it distributed, to getting everything all worked out. It is just a mammoth undertaking with thousands of people involved in it. And so to be doing that for as long as Ridley Scott has, because don't forget before Alien, before The Duelists, before those, those films in the 70s, he was already working his ass off in British television, mm-hmm. working his ass off in commercial filmmaking, making, he had his own studio, making, pumping out commercials constantly, right? He's been doing this for such a long time and doing it at, an extraordinarily high level of output. This, obviously, everybody listening to this knows this, but in addition to his actual films that he's directed, he has produced just an astounding amount of other things for film, for television, for, you know, for audio dramas, for, for everything you can imagine he has touched at this point. Um, and, and yet when you see him walking into Prometheus on those first days, he's walking into Prometheus. Like he's a kid who got a film camera for Christmas and is getting together with his friends to do something crazy. Um, and that I, I just love. And and I think that something that I appreciate about Ridley Scott vis-a-vis Prometheus is I appreciate the audacity of what he tried to do with it. I appreciate in some ways that it doesn't work because if something doesn't work, but I still will watch it anyway, it means that there's something drawing me back to it in spite of the characters and in spite of the shit that I, I'm so fed up with. That there are things that that are just so crazy out there and fascinating that it took somebody who was willing to go there to do that. And and when you try to do something crazy, a lot of the time stuff doesn't go well. And I, I will close this long and rambling comment with about toilets by saying that... Um, to be able to still do that in your 80s, or I guess when he made it, he was in his late 70s, but to be able to still do that at that point in your career, to, to make movies that are just wild, that are just fucking wild, that you know everybody's going to be giving you shit about, that you know the audiences are going to be scratching their heads about, that you know all the financiers that go into making these things are going to be like, oh, is this really a good idea? And to fight those battles just because of the audacity, the vision that you have, I think it's just amazing. And I, yeah. and I love that Ridley Scott got to do that with Prometheus.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I agree. And, you know, I think then I think after Prometheus, he took a break and he made the Martian in between, um, which was a great film, really lovely film, um, with a great script and, uh, satisfying to watch. Not, I don't think about the Martian too often. It's sort of a humdrum, like well-made tight little ditty. Um, but it's not like anything profound, not at all. Um, and I, but part of it why The Martian is so good or why it's so successful is because the script was tight and it was written by the guy who was the author. I can't remember
1: the name. Andy Weir. Yeah. Andy and, Weir. And, the, and the book itself is tight and the concept yeah. is tight and something that he worked on for a long time. And, and so yeah, Ridley Scott didn't have to way.
0: worry about the story. The story was already written. Um, and, I, and, I, and to Ridley Scott's credit, he did not want to come and direct Prometheus. Carl Wrench was rumored to be aboard. I don't know how true that rumor was. Then there was a rumor that his son-in-law wanted to direct and he was going to produce. Again, it was a rumor, but the truth was he didn't really want to come back to it. He wanted to step in a producing role. Fox said, we're not going to make it without you. He stepped into it. And I think that might've been maybe not a fatal error um, because I don't regret as much as I have problems with Prometheus, I don't regret it. I don't think it shouldn't have been made. Um, I I don't think it's unworthy. I just think it doesn't work in many, in some of the most important aspects, which is story. And I think it's a hard thing when you, someone feels forced into or pressured into doing something that they don't want to do. And then you have covenant where he was sort of done with the alien and he had been done for a while, but he's like, Oh boy, Okay, I'll, I'll do this. I'll make Alien Covenant, and yeah, okay, I'll throw the Alien in there too, um, and and then he did it, and you could see it evidently, and you could see it in Prometheus evidently that no no matter that it was gorgeous and there were some great ideas that he loved, all of Ridley Scott wasn't aboard that, that film, and then you have Prometheus or Alien Covenant, which probably can be a next episode of episode two of defending Ridley scott of him not wanting to really do it at all but he felt pressured into it again by fox to do this movie um because prometheus was really largely successful made i don't know at the end of the day how big the profits was but the american box office was 126 million dollars that's that's nothing to be ashamed of. That's that was a decent profit. It made like four hundred and twenty-one million worldwide. Yeah, it was four hundred something. Yeah. Off a hundred and twenty-five million-dollar budget. So probably they probably closed the deal with about fifty million dollars profit after everything was said and done. Um, sure, make a sequel. Um, I just so I in, in my defense of Ridley Scott, I don't think I I think he wanted to be more of a producer like George George Lucas and say, okay, I'm here. I'm back for this. Let's get somebody in here, and I'll be involved in day-to-day whatever, and I'll produce this like George's Empire because he really has an affinity for George Lucas. He loved Star Wars. He loved what he did, and he wanted to step back into Alien thinking, well, let's see what we can do. Um, So that's where I'll leave it for me. What
1: about you? Um, I kind of disagree with you on that. Okay. i think I think he really wanted to be there i I, I really do I, I think um you know we got that from Charlie when he spoke with us that that really was really invested in this and he was excited about it i think uh you see it all over the free, the furious gods I think he seems like he's really excited to be there um I think in years since when he talks about Prometheus he's not apologetic about it like i, I think he's he's proud of the work that he did well let me let me clarify this i don't yeah. I'm not
0: saying that he was like oh I don't want to be here oh, I'd rather not I'm not saying that. I think he was a He was excited. It was his first science fiction. He had a lot of ideas, a lot of really interesting and great ideas. Um, but initially he didn't want to direct. That wasn't really what he wanted to do. And I think there's a little bit of that in the movie. And I think that comes across in the characters more than anything else, that he wasn't as engaged as he could have been.
1: I think Is he this was more my... distracted. Yeah. I think that's a very fair statement that he was more distracted. I I, I do I do want to like go on record disagreeing that he didn't want to be there at the beginning because I, I think he actually I think he did. I I don't think it took that much coercion. But that being said, you know we weren't there. It's kind of hard to tell. Well, we'll I, I'm just going used. off what
0: I read. Some things that I read were uh, they were talking about it and he was like, well, why don't you bring in someone else? Why don't you bring in this person? And they're like, no. But
1: that wasn't due to scheduling? That was that was because he just no, wanted somebody else he, to he do it? Wanted,
0: he wanted to be more of a producer. That's okay. just what I read. Again, there's a lot out there. I'm not saying it's gospel. I'm just saying okay. these are the things that I was reading. And he, in the beginning, was like, no, I'd rather come in. But then Fox said, we're not doing this unless you direct it. Okay, interesting.
1: Um, well, I'm sure Aaron Percival I, I is think... listening
0: and he can clarify this because he knows everything. <laughs>
1: He's like an alien Wikipedia. He knows. He's amazing. He is amazing. So I think uh, that regardless of of that at the very beginning, I I think that um, he had a lot more going on in his life and in his career when he was making Prometheus than he had when he made Alien. Mm -hmm. When he made Alien, he had, for one thing, just a, a universe of stuff to uh, prove about himself, right? We talked about this a lot with James Cameron, also. Like uh, their early films of both of these directors are just like so higher above the mark than they could have possibly been dreamt of being. Like they're so good, the early movies of James Cameron and Ridley Scott, because they had to prove themselves, because they were kind of outsiders to this to, to Hollywood, right? I mean, you have a Canadian and a and a you know guy from the north of England. Um, you know, coming in and, and trying desperately to go, and both of them had a production background, right? They were both in technical art. They both did, you know, design work. They're both, you know, great artists um, who, you know, decided in, in, they reached a point in their craftsmanship where they're like, okay, I think now I want to make my own movies. And they kind of had to force the studios to accept them. They had to, they had to force their way in. Um, Ridley Scott in his 70s and 80s is an empire and he is doing so many things at any given time. And he is giving parts of himself to all of these very many things. Sometimes he's giving a lot of himself, which is great. Um, I think Prometheus, he's giving a lot of himself to it. But I also know, because you can look at his IMDb page, that he was doing about five other things at the time he was doing Prometheus. And so, although he did sign off on the final cut although he was there the whole time and although he was very excited and invested in it, he was also excited and invested in other things that were going on.
0: He was a businessman by this point in terms of film. He was a production house. He's turned into a production house. And like, there was even an interview. Yeah. I've got six, 10 films coming out and people were like, really? Like for him, it's just like, yeah, we're doing it. And that's you're right. It's not the Ridley Scott that made alien who could devote his entire being and i'm sure there was probably a small projects happening during the time alien was produced and filmed but alien, but scott threw his entire self into it
1: totally and I, I mean his commercial you know work was still going on back then too but but yeah but that was the only movie that he had on his horizon that was what he was doing right um, I, I don't get the sense though that Ridley Scott is anything less than fully committed, even though he's doing a lot of different things. I, agree. I think He is somebody who can sustain that level of attention and intensity because it's sort of all, all that he cares about, you know, especially at this point in his life, this is what his legacy is. And this is what he cares about. And this is what he's pushing towards. But I do think that it's impossible to be as productive when your attention is divided. And I think that his attention is just a little bit divided right now. And it's easier for things to slip through the cracks. Um, you know, I—I I, was—we've we, talked about the Terror quite a bit because it's a show that we both love. The oh first season God. of the—what uh, I, oh. I just—I I worship. I need
0: to get that on DVD or blue or 4K or something. something.
1: I, I worship the altar of the first season of the Terror. The second season of the Terror is a fucking pile of steaming garbage, and that is also they not related. produced by Ridley Scott. Yeah, 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 it's an anthology, which is great, and I think there's going to be a third season too. Well, the first somehow.
0: Terror, there's so much, there's so much written about that exploration um that there's a lot to source from whereas with the um japanese internment there's a lot of different accounts there's so you're culling from all of these different places um and i think it's harder to make a coherent story that's also sort of supernatural and
1: i i guess but i i think it i think it just wasn't done very well i i really think i that... haven't seen it yeah, you will see what I mean when you watch it. And in a lot of ways, it has the same problems that Prometheus has, which is that it looks really good. It's got a really great concept. I think I think this idea of sort of mixing like, you know, ancient Japanese folklore with this internment situation. And I think there's a lot of really cool and, you know, family generational dynamics and things like that. It's really interesting. But the characters are just insufferable. The whole time I'm like, oh my God, what are they talking about? Like they're caricatures of themselves and um and uh, bradley scott was one of the only people that bridged both of those seasons you know mm-hmm. in the first season you had people like carrie it was carrie Fuganaga, right that directed it i don't know yes. who, who it wasn't yeah i think it was yeah i think this is like the showrunner wasn't he yeah right who uh is also just like uh, wait hang on i'm gonna i'm gonna look this up let's pause for a second
0: it. it's gonna be interesting to see as patrick looks this up um we're gonna wrap this episode and i think yeah It's good to wrap this on Prometheus and we'll discuss him in Covenant in part two. I was thinking about having a round table. I guess we can discuss that so everyone keep their ear out for that because we might do that live. We'll see. But it's interesting. I think it's always hard to keep things going. Typically you have these like uh, stranger things. The first season was phenomenal. Phenomenal. The second season I was like "Eh, okay I was entertained I guess but this was dumb. Third season I was like okay, this is better, this is good, but I'd lost the magic. Um, and So now there's a season four, we'll see what they do, but um, I think it's always hard to make a good second season, um, unless you really have people knowing what they're doing. I don't know what no. was going behind the scenes. I haven't seen the terror season two. I need to, so I can like comment on it, but
1: yeah so so uh two things one i think season three of stranger things is just as uh, almost as strong as season one of stranger things that's something we disagree on uh, yeah. and, and we will not be that it's really
0: them. not great i think it's great but there's some i think it turns into 80s recreation as opposed to about character as more as much as it could be but we'll get
1: into that's that. a, that's another Offline. conversation yeah. so yeah. Kerry fukunaga actually had nothing to do with the terror of season one i don't know why why that oh. was like it feels like it should be like it feels like something yeah. that he would have done like Trude probably Detectives. would have been better probably would have been even better, yeah. Um my, my point being though that that the the people involved with season one of the terror clearly got the best out of Ridley Scott and got the, you know his because it feels like alien. It feels absolutely extraordinarily good. Oh. Season two, I don't think he had that counterbalance there. And maybe it's because, you know, season one was so successful and it was such a hit for AMC that um you know AMC was like, okay, go ahead and run with it. And then maybe he was kind of unmoored again. Who knows? But um, also,
0: also, what happens too is yes, let's do a season two, and they had a shorter window to produce season two than they did true. for season one. And when you're rushing things along like that, especially in TV where there's, where there's okay, this is the time slot, they'll you know. announce a date, a release date, and you got to get. I mean, the terror, the first season. I mean, it's colossal. It's huge. I mean, the ship in the the the. The exteriors and everything. It's Although awesome. that was
1: almost entirely shot on the soundstage. Did you know that? Yeah,
0: I know. There were a lot. Amazing. Of, it's absolutely amazing, but I've seen the behind the scenes. There was, there was a lot yeah. shot outside as well. But it, they just, it was a marriage. It was a beautiful marriage. Um, but I suppose I'll leave with this elephant in the room with Ridley Scott. Um, and this is to his credit or to maybe give him some slack, because I always will, despite maybe some frustrations, ongoing frustrations that I have with Ridley Scott, he had already made Alien. He had already told that story before. And he went back and he told a very similar story again. So I think an issue there was he had already done it. He He was never a fan of sequels. He'd said that throughout his career, before Prometheus. And he decided to make Hannibal, and Hannibal was certainly not The Silence of the Lambs. It was a very different film. Um, I think it's a very good movie, though. I think so, too, actually. I think Hannibal's I think it's it's very
1: underrated. Oh, absolutely. The score is
0: just amazing. Oh, my God. Um, But Alien or Prometheus did not have... uh, It did not have that benefit. It was a story that had been told, and what had happened in Prometheus, it was essentially a variation on the same thing we had seen before. And I I, I think that that was a difficult mountain for Ridley Scott to climb. And it was gonna be difficult to not sort of see that. And, but it's also something that's been plaguing the Alien films since Resurrection, essentially, where it's just the same story again and again. Right. So.
1: To be continued, this, this is good, but I, I feel like we, uh, even just in the context of Prometheus, I think we should look at Ridley Scott again and look at his, his like style vis-a-vis Prometheus and try to unpack it more yeah, I would yeah. like to I think that'd be really fun actually to, to work with you to find where Ridley Scott is in Prometheus and where he's not mm-hmm. and that might help us find get some windows into what might have happened and where yes. he might have ruled on something right because I, I, I think we're not done defending Ridley Scott yet on this
0: well I, I and I also think we can look in covenant and say there's Ridley Scott this is Ridley Scott in the scene. Obviously, he's directing the whole film, but there's scenes where you're like, "Okay, it's alien. He's not really, he doesn't really, don't really care," and then you see David and and um, Walter together, and you know this is Ridley Scott's baby right now. Mm-hmm. This is where he wants to be. Prometheus. I have a harder time identifying what that. Where yeah, that me is. too. But I think it'd be kind of fun to look
1: for it. So yep. let's 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 revisit let's this in a couple episodes. Okay. Sound good. Yep. Thanks for listening, right, everybody. Guys. We'll
0: be back with a. a a second part or maybe the third, uh, but I think it's a worthy discussion to have and so check out Ridley Scott. He just did an interview with the LA times, an hour long interview about alien and its 41st anniversary. It's fascinating. We'll see if we can get the link up when we post this. Also, if anyone's, uh, feeling generous, we have a Patreon, um, go to perfect forward slash support. You can start support at $2 a month. I know money is tight for a lot of people, but we want to just put that out there that, uh, All of your money that you give us goes to fees. We're working on audio dramas.
1: We're working on a lot of things that we'll discuss at a future point. So. and and if you've been enjoying the 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 content the frame rates and things like that that we've been putting out um, that is normally behind the the paywall for patreon we're keeping it open for now because of these extraordinary circumstances but at some point in the nearest future they're gonna have to go back to patreon so if you've been enjoying that stuff and you you know have been kind of on the fence about whether or not to support if you just join at the two dollar level at perfectorganism.com support you'll you'll never miss an episode of frame rate shit show any of those things um, and, and we would love to you know keep you in the loop on that stuff so absolutely thank you guys so much thank you guys oh the head they changing changing into what it's moving these things moving what is that
0: there's a ship
1: they're leaving to go where
0: earth
1: it was so wrong take us home if you don't stop it they won't be the home to go back to you why is that doing
0: For more on Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please visit perfectorganism.com. Perfect Organism is available for listen or download through Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you'd like to support the show, please visit perfectorganism.com
1: forward slash support.
0: Thank you.